God. So my thought we talked about today about righteousness and, and what does that look like? What's righteous behavior look like on, on people? Um, I think sometimes we have these concept words. Love is one of those, you know, uh, I love you. And then roll your eyes at them or something like that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so there has to be a corresponding action and some kind of vision that God has in mind when he tells us to operate in these different spiritual forces. And righteousness is one of those. Uh, righteousness is something that we obtain from God. Uh, there is a self-righteousness where we can try to do good and try to do this and try to do that, and, uh, try to be better, try to be a better person, whatever that means. Well, it all comes from your what your idea of righteousness is, it comes from your what your mind tells you uh, right behavior is, right conduct is, uh, how to treat other people, what you consider to be right comes from your own mind and it doesn't come from the mind of God and so for that reason that makes it not right in fact it's sin because it's self-indulgence it's causing you to exalt yourself above God it's like you know better you know you know how to treat people and you know how to do this right you know yeah but what happens when you mess up what do you go for correction? Where do you go to have it fixed? And many people have 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 uh, put themselves through a lot of grief trying to do everything right themselves and on their own without God's leading, without God's power, without his knowledge, without checking in with him, anything like that. And so I think it's good to, to go back through the word and uh, get to understand what what it actually looks like in in real behavior in a person's life uh, one of the people i was thinking about is abraham the bible says abraham believed god and god counted it to him as righteousness so here we have a totally different picture of what righteousness is and, and i mean is the true righteousness now you can say in self-righteousness, well, well, I I try to treat people the way I want to be treated. Yeah, but you don't do it right all the time because you get complaints from people. You know, I mean, you can be doing your best, and somebody will come up and say, well, you know, you act like you don't like me. So what do you do with that? Amen. What do you do with that kind of stuff? Uh, and so we kind of get this idea of, of our own righteousness or what our idea of righteousness is. We have to have that thrown out as being not worthy of anything, but yet we, we still strive to do the right thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, I know my idea of righteousness isn't right because it didn't come from God. But when it comes from God, I'm still trying to do the right thing. And if I fail at that, then where do I go? And so once we understand that righteousness is a spiritual force that is imputed to us by God in exchange for what we think is right. See, if you understand that if you take the best that you could offer, the best that you can think of, your best behavior, your best behavior on your best day, and you take that 
and you let go of that and you forfeit that and you say, God, that's just like filthy rags. That's no good. Uh, it's really no good. I don't want that anymore. And we put that over into a, a container, you know, that says dispose of this. Then what do we come up with? Then you got to have something to replace it. And what we replace it with is what God gives us as he gives it to us and when he gives it to us. And this is where the the sometimes the confusion comes in or or the stumbling block is laid because many times we think to ourselves, gee, I could do this right. I could do this and I could do that and I could do and you step out to go do it and you fail. And you you say, well, how did that how did I mess that up? See, how did I how did I fall into that trap? And it's easy because we don't wait until God informs us of how to operate in his righteousness for real. We don't get enough information. We get the tip of the the iceberg and we think we got the whole thing. We run off with it like we can do everything right now. And, uh, you know, I'm saved and I do everything right. and I don't sin anymore. I don't do this anymore. I don't do that anymore. And that may be true on a certain level. But is that all that we need to do to please God? Because what we want is to please God with our righteousness. Where in the past we have been trying to please ourselves. We've been trying to do the right thing so we can feel good about us. Instead of submitting the whole thing to God and whatever happens, I'm doing my best, God. I'm, I'm doing my best out here. I'm, I'm really working for you. I'm really trying. And if you fall short, then you you only have to answer to God about your shortcomings. And and when you go to him, then you have to be assured that he will help you to straighten things out to his satisfaction. See, it's all about us removing ourselves from the position of authority and power in our lives and us letting God be the one who's in charge there. Let him rule and let him reign and let him be in charge and let him call the shots. And, and, and that's the key to righteousness. That's the key to, uh, what they call right wisdom. The word righteousness really comes from two Middle English words and, and one is right, which means right, and the other is wisdom. So righteousness was usually, was originally pronounced right wiseness. So you have a right wisdom about you. When you have righteousness and that needs to be that that has to be we we have to accept that for all of us, that we all get on the same page with the same God, the same mentality, the same way of thinking, and that we walk in his wisdom and we walk in his um, fellowship and companionship. Because there's no way you can get wisdom from God without being born of his spirit. Amen. Now, you had an Old Testament version of it where you had some some people that would believe God and and God saw that as righteousness. So God was able to forgive their sin. He was able to give them a fresh start. He was able to bless their lives. He was able to a lot of things because of his covenant with them to give them the righteousness that they needed. And so when they would believe him, would put their faith in God, they would, they, he would, he would, uh, account it to them as righteousness. So it was added, added to their account 
is right standing with God. It's you're okay with God. You you don't have any faults to look for. Don't look for anything wrong with you. You're okay. And so it was like, you know, you put your faith in him and that puts you in an excellent place. But the minute something happens and you take your faith out of him and you start trying to fix it yourself, correct it yourself, do this yourself, do that yourself, that really shows that, number one, you're not trusting God to do the job that he's called to do. It's like, you know, I tried God's way and I still messed up and so I'm going to go and try and do it myself. And that's how people kind of mess, mess themselves up because they just don't trust that God sees. God knows. He knows your faults. He knows your flaws. When you commit sin, if you stand in his righteousness, he's already judged you righteous. Now you, you make a mistake. What does he do? Throw you out totally. And see, what we have to do as believers is get comfortable experiencing everything that God has for us without feeling condemnation, without feeling guilt, without feeling it didn't work. And now we got to run off and, and do a, a something different ourselves or, you know, why is it that, that this faith stuff never works for me? And all these other people get blessed and they say they're doing this and doing that. And I think it's because those people have a wisdom you haven't tapped into yet. See, there's a right wisdom that comes from relationship with God. And the right wisdom says, though, though I sin, he still forgives me. And what a blessing it is to be in that number of people, not who do everything right all the time, but whose sins are covered. Amen. Whose sins are forgiven, whose iniquity is covered. It, you know, the, you won't find any of the patriarchs in the Bible will ever say, I did everything right finally and God finally blessed me. No, they say, blessed is the man whose sin is not imputed to him and is not counted against him. That's where the blessing is. So instead of this self-righteousness that we, we all, and, and see, even after you're saved, you can walk with God. For a season, then stumble back into that thing. It's a snare that's set for us that that we want to do everything right, and the minute we hear some bad news, we are very upset with ourselves. Look at what I did. I can't believe I did that. I've been saved X number of years, and here I am. Do you understand? Maybe you sinned a long time ago, and that you've been relying on your own self to keep yourself together. And not relying on him the way he wants us to. So in Psalm 32, if you want to turn there, we'll start there. Because this is the blessedness that comes with the righteousness of God. He imputes his so that we can live. Amen. He has to give us his righteousness in order for us to be able to live totally for him. He he you know, gives us everything. He provides everything that we need for life and godliness. And so once we understand that, that he is the provider of even the right motivation to get up and want to serve him every day. You got to depend on him for that. 
if if it weren't for that, you would have no mind to serve God. You just want to go back to what you've been doing all the time. It says here, 32 verse 1, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That's the blessedness you want to live in. You want to, don't want to live in a blessedness that comes from doing everything right or having everything go right in your life. You, you don't want to live by circumstances, but you want to live by covenant. Amen. You want to live by a transaction that has happened that has put you in a place where you've never been before. And this is what God does when he forgives our sins. Nobody understands the power of forgiveness. It just goes on and on and on. It's very difficult to grasp how powerful that is to have everything that you've done wiped clean from the the slate of your life, from God's record book, from your memory, everything wiped clean. And and it's a good thing to have that 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 wiping done, to have that process done, because and that's why the Bible says there's a blessedness there. To to be blessed it really encompasses every area of your life with good things. So if if your sins are forgiven, you can expect good things to pop up in every area of your life. I mean, there is not one area of your life that will not be touched by this blessedness once your sins are forgiven. That will open doors to places that you never thought you could get in before. Places that you thought were were off limits to you because of whatever it was that came to your mind that stopped you from entering into the good things of life. That's been erased now because of forgiveness. So with forgiveness, there's an open door to blessing. There's an open door to all kinds of blessing. And so once that that blessedness comes into your life, by faith you're able to enter into the the reality of living for God, where you can start to have dreams and visions of God, and you have right wisdom. You have right thinking. You start to think like God. You can put thoughts together that makes sense as far as his kingdom is concerned and how to access his kingdom. It's, it's very easy to do. You know, if you, you would match up your righteousness with God's word, you'll start to get the wisdom that you need in every single situation. And so many people give up on the word. They, they pursue it for a little while and, and then get used to it, uh, get accustomed to it and, and kind of take it for granted. They're not as eager now to to pursue the word as they used to be, all of that. So part of uh, righteousness has to be a right hunger that comes into our hearts for the things of God. You have to have a right hunger for things. And so when God sees sees the things in our lives going in a direction that he, he doesn't want it to go, he has to devise some kind of rescue plan for us to get us back over into his wisdom and over into his place where we can again be blessed again. And so this is really the walk of faith, what the walk of faith is all about. It's a, a, a blessedness that comes into your life where you understand that everything, it's almost like the, a, a door of a whole new world will open up to us once we've been ministered God's righteousness to us 
It's a feeling of contentment and well-being um, that's not easy to lift. Amen. You can do some things and, and go along for a season and make some mistakes. And then one day you just say, well, I'm just sick of this. I'm going to go back to where I found God or I'm going to go back to where things were good for me. And, and you go there and you find God still there waiting for you. Amen. And you can't really it's it's once it's imputed to you, it you can you can lessen the impact in your life by getting your mind on other things pursuing other things, getting distracted, all of that can happen. But at the end of the day, righteousness leaves an impression in people who have been touched with it. I'm talking about God's righteousness. It leaves an impression on you that causes you to long for that that good place again with God, that place of contentment, that place of knowing, that place of belonging. Um, you'll continue to just move right back to that place. You'll gravitate right back to that place. You'll start to think about, God, I remember when I used to just eat your word all day long. I, all I wanted to do was read my Bible and, and do the things you want. And I looked forward to it. What happened? It's just that you've gotten distracted. The cares of this life, you know, the Bible lists all of them. Deceitfulness of riches. Other things entering in, it'll crowd the word out. And once that word gets crowded out, then righteousness seems far from us. It's like, wow, what happened to me? I, I used to be able to. You ever been there? You get in them situations? I used to be able to, you know, this was so easy for me once upon a time. And so then all of a sudden, it's a little difficult now. And so this, this imputed righteousness, it's, it's like a stamp on your spirit. Once you've been stamped, you don't want anything else. I don't care how much you dull it with bad behavior and going off or you get mad at the saints and go run, do something stupid or whatever. You know, you can't erase it. You can't get away from it. You can't get rid of it. And so, and this is what, you know, people backsliders, they're trying to get rid of that stamp of righteousness that's on them. And, and there's a light that comes in to us when we're righteous, when we have God's righteousness. So in him is light. There's life. Holy Spirit dwells in you. You've got constant reminders inside of you of who you are and, and who you belong to. And so those things can't be erased. They're, they're you know, eternal things built on eternal uh, situations, eternal promises. The blood is eternal. It speaks forever. It's going to always speak to you and draw you back to God. So there's no way you can get away from that. You're marked forever. Amen. You know, you'll see sometimes people want to drift back into the world and they don't fit out there. They don't tell you they don't fit, but they're not happy. They they just are never content. They're never satisfied. Why? Because righteous, they've been stamped already with the righteousness of God. They've got enough sense to know not to go too far so the devil don't continue, uh, you know, totally overtake them, but they don't feel comfortable coming back to God somehow. And so God has to send something or some way to retrieve those people and get them back again. But that stamp of righteousness is always there. It's always going to be there. They they don't lose. You know, people will say, well, can you lose your salvation? You you don't lose the stamp and the seal of the Holy Spirit because he doesn't give up. He's the eternal spirit. 
And so as long as we understand that that stamp of righteousness is there, that that God will look over and, and care for what belongs to him, then there is a way back to all of us in God. And it doesn't matter how far you've gone. See, if there's a way back for us who call ourselves faithful, you know, we come to church all the time. We do what we're supposed to do, our giving. We go out witness, all that kind of stuff. We have a way back when we sin. Well, if we have a way back, we think ours a little short distance, right? Because it's us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got a little short distance back. I'm just going to repent, tell God I'm sorry. Go tell my brother and my sister in the Lord I'm sorry and it's all good. Well, those who seem to be real distant from God, they have a way back too. You know, everybody's got a way back. And so this is the, 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 the blessing of righteousness. It's something that's imprinted on us that never goes away. And it's a good thing in that because God uses that to continually draw us back to him. No matter where we go, what we do, and how we do it. So, so we're going to talk about some of the uh, people that that I have aside here in the word that we're going to discuss uh, in our righteousness talk. Uh, let me think. I think one will go to to Abraham. Righteousness. What does that look like? It comes into us as a seed. And it grows like any other seed. It grows from feeding it. Feeding it the word, but also feeding it obedience to the word. So the fruit of your righteousness grows as you obey God. You know, you're not just to hear the word and sit there and do nothing with it. But, it, you know, hopefully you get up and do what the word says to do. You live your life according to the word. So in Romans 4.3, it says, Abraham believed God. And it was imputed to him as righteousness. We say Romans. Yeah, sorry, Romans 4, 3. For what says the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. This believing God is not a one-time deal. You know, we think about it in terms of confessing Christ, you know, to salvation, that kind of stuff. But it's believing God over and over and over again. Because if you have righteousness, if you have that righteous seed on the inside of you, it grows the more you apply it to your life. So as long as you are believing God and continuing to believe God, your righteousness tends to grow. It gets strengthened. And many times you can tell this because there are things that, that you can say, well, you know, I've grown in that area because I used to have to ask God and believe God and sweat and fret for just the smallest thing. And now I just walk in a knowing of of the fact that God will take care of that for me. See? And it's not bragging. It's supposed to be like that. You know, with your righteousness grows, you don't have to keep running back and checking to make sure God heard you, to make sure, you know, after a while you get peace about what you asked him for. And you can go on for a long season just, you know, between you and God and you understanding that it's coming. 
you're confident in that. You're content with it. You're not getting anxious over it. You're not fretful about it. Uh, and that's the fruit of righteousness beginning to grow inside of you. Uh, that, that you think right about God all the time without faltering, without wavering, without uh, getting scared, without getting nervous, without thinking what happened, or what did I do wrong this time, all that kind of stuff. There is a, a place where righteousness abounds toward us, as the word says. It will keep getting bigger and bigger in our lives. We we Our minds are consumed more with God's thoughts. We understand what he wants us to do in a greater fashion. And so we can govern our lives accordingly because righteousness is guiding us and we've given ourselves so over to it that it, it gives us this confidence now with this peace and this settlement that we take it with us all the time. And we're never apart from God and never apart from his thoughts and his ways and, and his direction. So you can just confidently get up and go about your business expecting God to come through for you every single time. And that's one of the benefits of righteousness. It's a fruit that assures you that God is there with you and that he is 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 there to support you, to encourage you. He hasn't left you. He's not going to leave you. He is there as your constant companion. So in in 4.3, it says, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. So his believing God was replaced with right standing with God. Not only right standing with God, but such right standing that God saw him as a son or saw him as his son. And so when we talk about righteousness, there has to be some idea of what that has gotten us that we believe God. So what it gets us is a new position in God's life where he now can take care of us as his own children, as his own heirs, as people who are entitled to everything that he has without any cessation no stopping no limits nothing like that so when we believe god everything is opened up to us as his children as his heirs as those who are going to receive everything that god has so you can have that sense sometimes about you that there's no limits on what god there's no limit in what you should ask god for you begin to say i can ask him anything confidently and i know he'll give it to me so when righteousness is is permeating your being when it's permeating your mind that's what it looks like there is a great confidence there about your airship there's a great confidence there there's no reluctance there to wonder uh is god is that too much to ask is is he going to give it to me and and have i earned it what did i do i, I didn't do anything much but i'm going to ask anyway you know that kind of thing and so you begin to unwind yourself from the iniquity that has held us back so long you know once you step into god's righteousness and so that unwinding uh comes in in the 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 form of a confidence towards your inheritance you start to begin to believe that god will do this he will if things get too hard for me he'll come and bail me out 
You know, it's not like he's he's asking me to do everything right and then he'll help me. He has given me something that is better than me doing everything right. Amen. And that's why he helps me because I believe him and I continue to believe him. And so it's important that we understand that believing God means a continual faith in him. Not just believing him for certain things and not believing him for certain other things, but we have to have this continual confidence in God. And every time there's a need, we've got to say, God, you can do this. I know you want me to have it. I know you're going to do this for me. And so it's that believing, continual believing that counts it as righteousness toward us. Now, what did Abraham do when he first met God? When you meet the Lord, there's something that righteousness assures you of. And and one of those things is that all of your debts have been canceled. There's there's this great sense of relief that anything that you owed God or anything that wasn't right with you, that that's done away with. So your all debts being canceled is something that's very, very important. In your walk of righteousness, because if you look at yourself as accumulating debt for the rest of your life, there's no blessedness there. See, there's that you got to see yourself as being continually released from all burdens, all debts, all uh, encumbrances, all things you've done wrong. They're not on your record anymore. You have to see yourself as being continually released from that and that it's not adding up. If you get to the point where you see you think your debts are adding up, you're on the wrong road. So you've got to get off that road and you've got to go back to God and get that straightened out. Because many times what's happening with people is that they're not following uh, God's protocol for living, for maintaining righteousness. See, it's imputed to us, but then you got to maintain it. How do you maintain it? You maintain it by keeping short accounts with God. It's the best way I can tell you to do it is continually go to God. You know, God, God showed me something. He said, there are people who have given and, and given faithfully, but they haven't forgiven faithfully. And he said, they have given gifts, he said, and those gifts are still stacked up at my altar until they go make things right with their brother. Now, he spoke that to me. And so he said that many of them are waiting on my blessings, waiting on me to release things to them. And because they will not make it right with their brother, he said, I can't release it to them. He said, and, and ministers will tell you to give more. Oh, yeah, 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 so, and that's the best way to get out of trouble. But is it really? you got to do what it, what's called for. you got to maintain your right standing with God. God would much rather look at you and, and beam because you're being obedient to these things than to to give you a whole bunch of money because you're a big giver. But he said, yeah, he said, let the people know. He said, there's some things that need to be moved out of their lives so that I can bless them. And and this is always good. I remember back in the day when I was a new Christian, we I remember watching people like um, Richard and Lindsay Roberts. 
And they would say, if you're not getting blessed, you better check out these things. And Lindsay would rattle them off. As, am I, am I forgiving people right? Am I loving my brother right? She put that at the head of the list. And over the years, that's kind of slid down, you know, like, <laughs> that ain't important. But it's very important to God. You know, if, if you're a, a family member, you know, we all got them strange family members that don't halfway speak to people. And it grieves you that you can't be a friend. I mean, you let it go. You know, it's not on your mind every day. But it grieves you that you don't have fellowship with those people. And you wonder, well, what what, what did I do to them? Or what is it that about me that they don't like? Or, or about whoever else in the family they've cut off from? What's wrong with them? Amen? And And God wants to see an intact family. He wants everybody. To be in his covenant and everybody to get along. And so when that doesn't happen, it does grieve the heart of God. So much so that he will withhold from us rather than see us get blessed anyway and overlook it like it's not a big deal. Because it is a big deal to him. Amen. He wants an intact family because he died for everybody's righteousness. And that's what he wants is for all of us to live with him, for him, and in harmony with him. But don't ever think that because God isn't making a big deal out of it verbally to you, you know, that it's not important to him. These things are very important to God or he would not put them in scripture. And he says, before you, if you have ought against any, forgive. So your father in heaven can forgive you. And so when you're a forgiving person, you maintain your righteousness through your release of others from burdens and debts as well. So you become a person who can release burdens, can release debts from people. You can cancel debts for people. When you forgive people, you cancel debts toward them. Amen. And it lifts the burden off of them where they can find fellowship, they can find peace, and they can find righteousness. Amen. It's not found any other way. Now, the first thing Jesus told the disciples when he was raised from the dead, he, it wasn't about going in power, but, but you know, receive the Holy Ghost. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. So he said, you hold the key in another person's life for them getting free or being bound. You can hinder people or you can help people. So endeavor to be a loving, forgiving person because your burdens have been removed. All of your debts have been canceled. In fact, we can walk in such a righteousness and a harmony with God that we don't even fear any kind of retribution when we sin. We just know we're forgiven. Amen. You you, you don't fear any penalty anymore. How does that happen? Where we used to just think about, oh, I did this wrong and I did that wrong. And if I do something else wrong, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, God's going to be sick of me and all this kind of stuff. You know, you used to live like that. But somehow, gradually, all those shackles dropped off of you. And you began to walk more in harmony with God. And then you found out, you know what? The closer I walk to God, the better off I am. Amen. I don't have all these fears. I don't have all these doubts. I don't have any of this stuff just because I walk with him and I endeavor to stay close to him. And the only way you can do that is to know your debts are canceled. Because in the past, the thought of getting close to God when we knew nothing but sin, 
You didn't want you don't want God's name mentioned to you. Amen. Because you didn't know him as a loving and forgiving God. But now that you know him as a loving and forgiving God, we just run after him all the time. We pursue him freely. Why? Because we have this sense that no more debts. He can't hold anything against me anymore. I have his word that nothing I ever do will be held against me unless I hold it against myself. Amen. And so you you have this freedom that comes to you as a righteous person. And it's a good thing. It really is. So all of our debts are canceled. In Genesis 13, I thought I would point this out. And It happened in Abraham's life. Because there was a sense where Abraham uh, obeyed God. He did what he knew to do. And then God started to manifest himself to him in such a way that it brought a new freedom into his life and his uh, his relationship with God really took off after that. Uh, I'll go to 13 verse start in verse one. Let me see. Let me go back a little bit because I believe that that Abraham did some things to respond to God that that were very, very helpful for him. In Genesis 12, where Abraham went and left his family, left his kin, left everything. In verse 4, it says, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Lot went with him, and Abraham was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram uh, took Sarah, his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance, and all that they had gathered, all the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Abraham passed through the land into a place of Sechem, to a place of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram, and said, Unto your seed will I give this land, And there he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Now Abraham building an altar to the Lord was his covenant saying that I am not going to serve any other gods but you. I will meet with you at this place. I want a permanent relationship with you. Because he had enough righteousness when he believed God and got up and left. That was enough righteousness to convince him that God was worth following. And so what did he do next? He establishes he's going to keep coming back to the same God. And so once you establish that relationship with God, that you're going to put no other gods before him, you are my God and and, and you are my Lord and I'm going to follow you, then righteousness follows you as well. So Abraham's righteousness is increasing by his commitment to the Lord. So the more we we give ourselves over to God, the more comfortable we are walking with him, the more we trust him, the more we expect of him. And we don't mind him expecting stuff out of us. We never think that what God is going to ask of us is too much until he asks us something. <laughs> Amen. Isn't that true? You go over, you just all hunky dory, you're just having a good time and you love God and you worship God and all this and all of a sudden he poses something to you. And that's where 
the glitch might come in. And it happened with Abraham. It happened with all of them. Amen. They had this little thing where if they they got to that hard place, then they had to deal a little bit differently with God. But they eventually worked it out. See, everything is worked out. Why? Because there's this sense that God is taking care of you. Everything is is going to be all right. This isn't the kind of relationship that's going to fall apart. This isn't something where you got to go find somebody else. If you, you know, I got to go worship this God if I need money and this God if I need this and this. You don't feel that. You sense I can go to this God for anything and he's going to take care of every need that I have. And so this is where Abraham begins to establish his covenant with God and his commitment to God. And it says he removed from there to the mountain east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And Abraham journeyed going south, uh, still toward south. Now, Abraham gets over into Egypt because here we have a conflict where he God has has dealt bountifully with him up until this time. God's taken care of him. He's had no problems. God's watched over him. He's made it to the place where God called him to go. But now there's a famine in the land where he is, in the place where his altar to God is. Now there's famine in the land. And you see Abraham drift away from God. And and in this drifting, he goes about on self-survival. Amen. He decides that he's going to tell Sarah to tell people that she's his sister, not his wife. He doesn't want anybody to kill him for her. And so he this is a self-righteousness that he stumbled into. Amen. It's it's we all do that. You get to your wits end or you got a bill that's due right away and you go dialing numbers instead of praying to God and expecting him. Amen. Nothing wrong with dialing numbers as long as God told you to dial them. Amen. <laughs> so so this is the whole thing. And so Abraham is tested now about his righteousness. Is he, he going to still uh, uh, rely on God uh, like he started out doing and start out real good? Now we got a problem. And, and now what do we do about the problem? And so here he is in Egypt. There's no uh, there's no food where he God has led him to. You never see him, though, say anything negative toward God. You never see anything in his heart that blames God for the famine. You understand what I'm saying? It's it's like, well, this is a famine, and but I'm going to make it through it. So you can see in a way that that imputed righteousness of God is still working in him. Because he has some faith that he's going to make it through this famine. Even though he's going about his own means to get it done, he believes somehow he's going to make it through. And sometimes it's that little bitty bit of God's righteousness that still clings to a person, that they still hold on to, that that, that you can see, you know. Like we'll have people that, you know, and I don't know if they're still serving God or not, 
but they'll write back to the ministry. I want a prayer cloth. I want a this. I want a that. They they have that much righteousness, imputed righteousness, where they believe their faith is going to work to get them well if they have the right things to to add to that so that they can, can uh, release their faith and God can heal them. And so imputed righteousness is not that hard to shake off. I mean, it's not that hard. You know, don't don't count people out when you see them walk away from the things, the familiar things of God or or things of that nature, because there's something that that they have in them already from God that will manifest itself and draw them back and, and get them back to a place where they get into a place of clarity and, and they can see God again. They can shake off that confusion and shake off that doubt and unbelief. All of that stuff, they can they can come out of it, you know. It's like coming out of a coma or something for some people. You'll see them start to uh, perk back up again uh, after being away from God for many years. It'll It'll just start to click again. All that stuff will come back to them. And if they can stay out of the condemnation of the devil, for having walked away from God, you know, they can, they can have enough left to build on. And so this is why you cannot ever discount imputed righteousness. You can't discount people when they make that confession of Christ, uh, you know, and, and say that they want Jesus to come into their lives and they get born again. And those are real experiences. God honors that and God does something real in people when they come come before his throne in that manner and so this imputed righteousness of God's is very powerful to keep people on the right track it keeps us all going on the right track so here Abraham is and and uh, he's gone down to Egypt in verse 13 it says Abram went up out of Egypt he and his wife and all that he had oh I'm sorry I skipped over we're in chapter 12 I'm trying to get to the the good part, which is all good. But 12, verse 10, there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was very grievous in the land. And as we said, he never lost righteousness. Now, he, he got confused, and he went out on his own, and he came up with an idea that he found out was not God. But don't we all? Amen. And he, and when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said to Sarah, his wife, Behold now, I know that you are a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see you, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save you alive. So I'm asking you to say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake. And my soul shall live because of you. Now, one of the things that Abraham did not understand what God promised him when he first called him. He said, I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And so had this come to his mind when he went down to Egypt, he would have, in God's wisdom, been able to come up with a better plan. Go down to to the land where you can eat and thrive and live for a season and then go back where God had you. Whatever God decides you can do, it would have been a better plan. But 
he didn't understand what that meant in everyday life. And this is a problem we all have sometimes when we look at what God's promised us. We're not sure what that means in everyday life. And see, a problem can come up and cause such fear in us and such dread that everything that God told us he is going to do for us gets totally wiped out of your brain. And you don't. And see, the thing about imputed righteousness is it's not afraid to step out and make a mistake. Not because we're calling God's bluff, but because there's no fear in stepping out when you have God's imputed righteousness on you. Because your faith is going to take you somewhere. And so you know your faith is going to take you somewhere and you know you can trust that God is with you, whether you're making the best decision, whether you're making a shaky decision, whether you're making a decision for right now and, 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 you know, God's not in it right now, all that kind of stuff. You can count on the fact of God's mercy to hold you in a place where that covenant can be reestablished again. You can get right back on the right track again. So Abraham was kind of fearless in this that he's doing. And it might be because it was a pattern of behavior between them that they had always done this. It was a, a custom that he said, this is the, the kindness that you do for me. And so it, it was something that they had probably done before. And it was very easy for him to step back into that old pattern again. Amen. Anybody ever been there? You know, you have patterns of survival when you're when you're in the world and, and it's easy for you to step back into those old patterns of survival. And so had he not had imputed righteousness, he would have been afraid to even go down to Egypt and try to survive and live. And see, in God's wisdom, God looks at what is he trying to accomplish? What is Abraham trying to accomplish here? And that's what he looks at with us. Are they trying to be rebellious? on purpose or are they just trying to survive and living by their wits and and it makes a big difference to god because if if you're a dead saint he can't do anything with you but if you survived and you made a few mistakes along the way he's easily to forgive you of those and then give you your righteousness right back again and so here abraham is and he goes down to Egypt and as as you all know it didn't work out too well for them when when uh Pharaoh found out that that uh um uh, Sarah was his wife uh, he came and, and confronted Abraham about it and it says here it says in verse 15 the princes of Pharaoh saw her commended her before Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house and he entreated Abraham well for her sake he has sheep, oxen, all of this stuff, men service me. He just turned the whole thing over to her. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Then Pharaoh confronted Abram and said, what have you done? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? See, he's a heathen that has more godly sense than, than the righteous man does. Amen. And so sometimes it'll be that way where you look and you say, you know what? I could have gone to God about this to begin with. If I had gone to him to begin with, I would have spared us all of this trouble. And so when, but when Abraham leaves Egypt, 
and it says he went up out of Egypt in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1. He and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south. And Abraham was very rich in cattle, silver, and in gold. And he went on all of his journeys there unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first, where Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And so here Abraham goes and offers to the Lord some of what God has given him. So he credits God with bailing him out. He credits God with giving him provision. And he credits God with forgiving him for his mistake. And so this is the important thing about righteousness, that it can get reestablished in your heart even after you have sinned. And even if after you've made mistakes as a servant of God or as a child of God, imputed righteousness doesn't depend on your permanent good behavior. It can be restored. It can be renewed. And this is so important because people don't like to think that they would ever be in a place where they would doubt God's forgiveness. But there are many Christians that get there. You know, you don't want to get there, and I don't either. But there are many people who do. But thank God that if it ever happens, you know that you can be restored just as good as new. And so Abraham took this as a sign from God that he was forgiven because God didn't penalize him. He didn't take anything away from him. He was able to keep everything that he had gained from Egypt, even though they paid. This was really a bride's dowry that he had received. They had given him, they say, as if he was the spokesman for Sarah's life, they had given to Abraham what they would pay a bride's family in exchange for the bride. So here they got to return her back, but he keeps gets to keep all the stuff. See what I'm saying? So God never penalizes us after we've imputed righteousness. You don't get penalties anymore. You know, it's it's amazing. It's like well, God, I bought all that stuff, and, and I filed bankruptcy, and I still got my stuff. Well, welcome to imputed righteousness. Do you understand what I'm saying? Welcome to imputed righteousness. You know, the Bible says render unto Caesar. Caesar said, you don't owe nobody nothing, so let's keep it moving here. You understand what I'm saying? And so God is able to give us that gift to show us. That he sees us in a higher place than we were when we first came to him. So you're no longer a sinner anymore. You can prove it. Amen. You can prove it every single day that you live for God. That that he's put things in your life that would not be there if it not were not for his righteousness. And that's what that looks like. You know, that's our question today. What does imputed righteousness look like? It looks like you committed murder, that you committed theft, but you didn't. Amen. God allowed you to keep things that that came to you from you don't know what kind of sources. Amen. But he allowed you to have those things. Why? Because he's a good God and he wants you to know that he has put you in a place where he doesn't hold anything against you anymore. Amen. Nothing against us anymore. So when Abraham built that altar, and showed his commitment to the Lord. God received it. And he says, I'll, I'll take you up on that. <laughs> Amen. I'll take you up on that. 
And so the other thing that that got uh, Abraham was promised was that God would uh, curse his enemies and he would fight for him. And this is the other part that that Abraham was always certain of in the way that he lived his life. There was a way that he went about doing the right things that in that it indicates to me that he had the backing of God and he knew it. It wasn't like he would he wasn't uh, nervous about going into the defense of his his cousin lot his nephew lot he just plunged right into it because there's something about righteousness that lets you know that god's got your back that he's not going to let anything happen to you that you're not going to be defeated that you're not going to be uh harmed in any way that you can pray for people uh, you can go into areas God sends you to and, and witness to people and, and all of those things and you're 100% protected. And it's not, it's not just the anointing. And we, we sense that, you know, when you, when you go, you sense that God's presence is with you and, and he's accompanying you. But there are times when you're, you're by yourself or you're in places where you haven't been before. And, and there's this understanding that you're not in any danger you're not nervous you're not fearful there's a confidence there and that comes more from righteousness than that comes from any anointing amen because suppose you don't have an anointing you know nothing to speak of or you don't feel his presence and you wind up in a strange place or a, a on a roadside with no with no spare tire and your phone just went dead you understand what I'm saying? There's a sense in righteousness, right standing with God, that you are above everything else that could come against you. And, and you can live in a contentedness. You can live in a peacefulness that will not, you, you can't be moved from it too easily. So um, we have that in, in uh, Genesis 14. Thank you, Lord. Where Abraham has to, in kind of an emergency, go and rescue Lot. Amen. Now, they've already separated because of some bickering, not between them two, but their herdsmen were bickering. And so how many of you know if your kids don't get along with the neighbor's kids, you know, you got to part ways for a minute. And so this is really what this was about. Abraham never, never lost his standing in God and love toward um, toward a Lot, his his nephew, he was Lot's overseer. To be honest with you, and he took care of him because Lot was was an orphan. He didn't have anybody else. And so, in fourteen verse one, it came to pass in the days of Aramphel, king of Shinar, and I'm gonna skip over these names because they take a long time to pronounce. These made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and Bersha, king of uh, Gomorrah. And so there was this, this war here. And, um, let me see. Verse eight. There came, there went out of the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, king of Adma, uh, all of these kings joined in battle with them in the vale of Siddim, with Chedorlaomer, the king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, and all these other guys, four and five kings. 
And the veil of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the land of Mamre. And he, these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. Now you notice that the minute he heard this, what did he do? He jumped into action. Amen. He didn't stop and build another altar. He didn't pray. He didn't ask God. He didn't, with no hesitation, he stepped out into Lot's defense. This happens because of imputed righteousness. See, you don't hesitate to do the right thing. And and right wisdom, right righteousness in your mind, uh, right understanding of things will cause you not to hesitate to step into action when action is needed. And so here Abraham is. He knows that God's with him. He knows that God has been with him. He's never been to war before, but he trusts God in, in that God has given him his word that he will fight those who fight him, et cetera, et cetera. Even though he and Lot had split up already. Lot's been living on his own for a while now, and, and but he's a victim, and Abram's not going to stand by and let it happen. And said so when Abram heard his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued unto them uh, all the way to Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and all the people. And so Abram, because of this one time believing God, he believed God that one time when he first met him and it was imputed to him as righteousness and that righteousness still hovers over his life. It's still a guiding force in his life. It is still it's more righteousness sometimes than faith, folks. Because it's more powerful. You believe God and then righteousness comes. So righteousness is more powerful than faith. Because your faith may fail you. But what's righteousness is still there. It's never going to fail you. You got me? So it'll come when nothing. It's like people say things like, well, you know, I believe God one time for this. And and he's just been blessing me off that one prayer all this time. Well, he's really been blessing your righteousness because you walked with him consistently. And there's a consistent harvest that comes when you walk with God. So it's it's when righteousness takes over because it cannot, there's no law against it. Whatever you utter out of a righteous voice, there's nothing can stop it from coming into your life. 
when you pray the right prayer, when you pray that prayer before God, and you say, God, I thank you that you're going to take care of me all the days of my life. I'll never want for anything. Once you establish that in the realm of the spirit, that righteousness continues. That There's nothing to stop that prayer from coming to pass for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's much more powerful than we give it credit for because we've been taught to emphasize other things, I guess. We push righteousness off to the side. But I'll tell you, if you'll maintain that, you maintain right standing with God all the time. You make sure you don't offend him in anything. And if there's an offense, you correct it quickly. Father, forgive me. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to go there. I, I know that grieved you. I know that hurt you. You understand? And and get yourself right. Talk to him like you do a real person, like you hurt him for real, because you did. See, this is what we don't do. We don't like talking like this. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? But it's the truth. You know, you, you, you parents, you parents know your kids will say little smart things and it'll like cut you to the quick. And, you know, you have to recover real quick on some of them little tongues, you know, cause they, <laughs> they be swift. But, but you know what I'm saying? You, you kind of have to understand the heart of God that way. Now, God, Lord, I mean, you know, what did I do? I, I've done some things that, that hurt you just as bad. I turned my back when you told me to do so-and-so, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, this is what righteousness looks like. You're quick to go to the defense of those that need it. You're quick to run to the help of people who can't help themselves. Amen? That's righteousness. And so here Abraham goes into war. He he uh, gets all these spoils of war. He brings Lot back. Uh, Lot needs help, folks. You know what I'm saying? He's just one of them kind of relatives. And so we've all got them. And uh, you got to be quick to come to their aid sometimes. You, you know, if you think about it too long, you won't do it. And so righteousness will cause you to be quick to respond to the right things at the right time. See, self-righteousness always wants to figure stuff out before you get involved in it. You know, it's like uh, this, you know, uh, baby and them, they over there spending their money. Why they spend their money on drugs all day long and then now they ain't got food? Well, I got to go feed them, God. Well, because you have imputed righteousness. You have God's heart in you. Amen. And then that's the same heart that gets you your goodies. It's going to get some goodies for somebody else too. Amen. And so, but see, if self-righteousness, we try, well, I ain't going to try. I don't want them to think that I approve of their lifestyle. Well, they know you don't. You know what I'm saying? You don't come to their parties. You don't do they, they stuff no more. You're barely over there. They know you don't approve of their lifestyle. So self-righteousness will always try to calculate whether it's going to work out and what it's going to make you look like and all this guy, you don't want to be a contributor, all that kind of stuff. It, it, just drop that and let God tell you what to do. Amen. And so Abraham goes in quick defense of his nephew Lot. In verse 17, it says, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of this other guy. 
and of the kings that were with him in the valley of Shaveh, which is on the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine and was the priest of the Most High God. So here's the king of Sodom going to meet Abraham to congratulate him. And here's Melchizedek, the priest of Salem, at the same place. So, Abraham, who do you owe your allegiance to? See, this is his test. Doesn't look like a test, but it really is. So, imputed righteousness is going to tell him the right thing to do at all times. And so, when he looks at the king of Sodom, and it says, the uh, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to yourself. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, he said, I have lifted my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoelace, and that that I will not take anything that is yours, lest at any time you would go around and say, I made Abram rich. So here it is. He's righteousness, imputed righteousness, will always be careful to protect God's reputation. It brings honor to God. It's not going to defile Anything that's done in your life so that somebody else takes credit for for what's going on in your life. Amen. It's good to honor people. Well, you know, the Bible covers that honor. Give honor to those who it's due, but don't overdo. That's the way I look at it, you know, because it's easy to do that. And give give credit where it's due sometimes. But you're not to to put yourself in a place of being beholden to somebody other than God. Amen. You want God to get the glory. If if I decide I'm going to uh, bless Sister Vicky, um, I bless her because my heart is tender because of what God did in my heart to want to bless her. See, and so this is how God gets glory for the things that are done, that 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 he's the one behind it all the time. And, and, and she understands that. You understand what I'm saying? We don't pat each other on the back. We say thank you and we appreciate. Oh, it's just what I wanted. You know, I really appreciate it because I was looking for something. You know, you can have an interaction like that. But we all know who the power is behind what we're doing. We know the force behind what we're doing. And I'm telling you, righteousness will cause you to put honor where it's due and not Take it away from God. You don't want to slight God in any way. And so Abraham let them all know, I've already sworn to God that I'm not going to take anything from any man because I don't want anybody running around here saying Abraham belongs to me. That's what it's about. You don't want human ownership over your life. You want God's ownership. You know, whether we go up, we go down, we rich, we poor, God owns me. 
You understand what I'm saying? And so this is this is what it's all about. You you got to keep that in its right perspective. So so really imputed righteousness gives God glory and honor at all times. Just gives him all the glory and all the honor at all times. Um, let me see. What else do I have down here? Praise God. In Genesis. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Imputed righteousness. Thank you, Noah. Always gives us right, right guidance and acceptance by God. Righteousness also means right guidance. So you have right guidance and acceptance by God. You know, I was thinking about David in the many years that he ran from Saul, where Saul was pursuing him, wanting to kill him. And it says that David's wisdom was greater than that of Saul. Amen. Why? Because David maintained righteousness. He never lost it. Be honest with you. There were times he was tempted and there he, David did some rough stuff. You know, he went over and started working with the enemy, worked with the Philistines. Amen. He did. There were a lot of things where you saw David would, would come up with a blessing from God and you think well how did God accept him from doing that you know it's like the the time where all he and his men were hungry and they they couldn't find any food how did they get food they stole it they were raiders marauders and they would go and capture these tribes and take everything that they had well they were living on the run and that's how people lived but when he got to to a place where he didn't have any other recourse, he went to the priest and, and he asked if they have food. And the priest said, the only thing that we have is the bread on the altar, the showbread. He said, it's only lawful for the priest to eat it. And he asked David, he said, these men sanctify themselves. And he said, yeah, he said, we haven't slept with our wives. And, you know, we've just been running around here. You know what I'm saying? And um, and so he was allowed to eat the showbread without penalty. Now, that's a big reach, folks. That stuff was in the holiest of hall. And nobody was allowed even in there or to touch it. But here he runs into a priest who has wisdom. The priest was smart enough to ask God instead of going all legal on him. Amen. You can't touch that. Who you think you are? I can't get at you. You understand what I'm saying? He, he, he petitioned God on, on David's behalf. Why? Because of David's righteousness. See, when, when you run into a righteous person, you understand that you can ask God things on their behalf that you can't ask sometimes for other people. This is what prompted that that priest to ask that and get God's permission is because he knew that David would soon be king and he didn't want to hinder that process. He was going to help it. And he knew that David was a righteous man before God. Amen. And so these things will keep us folks. If you, you ever question what righteousness looks like, you know, I know it's a word we use a lot and we assume we know the meaning of it. You know, it's accounted to us for righteousness. You know, we we assume we know the meaning of it. But what does it look like in everyday life? What does it look like? 
it it gives you a sense that all your debts are canceled, past, present, and future. You can walk in that consciousness that you don't ever have to think there's anything that would keep you away from God anymore, any longer. It's all been dealt with. You have constant protection. You have somebody to fight enemies for you. You have somebody to give you the right decision. You can act promptly in situations where you might have been afraid in the past because God is with you. There is this great sense of God is with me and I fear nothing. That's what righteousness does for you. And keep that about you. Protect that. Make sure you value it because it's everything. There's no law against righteousness. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for understanding. Thank you, Lord, that we are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. And Lord Jesus, thank you for keeping us beside you at all times and caring for us, blessing us, helping us in every single way. We honor you, Lord, and we love you. We thank you so much, Lord for the kindness that you bestow on us each and every single day. And we thank you for what you're doing in the name of Jesus. Father, I bless every soul here. I bless those who are not here that couldn't get here because of health concerns. And I thank you, Lord, that they are healed and they are whole and there's nothing missing and there's nothing broken in their lives. So we give you all glory and all honor and all power and all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. If anybody needs prayer, come on up. I'll pray for you.
praise God. We'll pray for those online. Thank God that He's imputed His righteousness to you. There's no law against it. It gives you everything you need. It's actually your free pass in the realm of the Spirit. Honor it, guard it, protect it. Consider it of great value because it is. And we thank you, Lord, for your righteous servants. Make it easy now for them to receive their healing, easy for them to receive their wealth, easy for them to receive their posterity, easy for them to receive increase in every way. And I thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen. Hey, we're going to do our declaration. I don't have Rona. She don't have me. I can't get Rona. She can't get me. I don't have, and you name anything else you're fighting. And it don't have me. Thank you, Jesus. By your stripes, we are healed. Amen, amen, amen again. It is so decreed. Amen. Praise God. Amen.